Thank you for downloading the Sturgeon Bay Community Church podcast. Join us each Sunday at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. at the corner of Georgia Street and 12th Avenue in Sturgeon Bay. For more information about Community Church, be sure to check out our website at sbcommunitychurch.com. Now, sit back with a notebook and a great cup of coffee and experience this week's message. Sturgeon Bay Community Church, transforming community by loving God and others. Well, church, we're going to be picking back up in Mark today, so as you're getting to your seats, grab your Bibles and let's get to the end of Mark chapter 1, beginning of chapter 2. Let me bring you up to speed if you are... um, Uh, Just now rolling back into Sturgeon Bay because you're a big winter quitter and you missed all the good snow and the cold and you missed the first part of Mark, we'll bring you back into what's going on. Mark is the first of the Gospels that was written. Uh, John Mark is its author. He was the apprentice to Peter. And before you start thinking, okay, I don't really know anything about John Mark, let me me let you know you do. Uh, his, His uncle is a guy named Barnabas. So we know that. And John Mark's house is the one where the Last Supper was held. So that day when the, when the apostles came into town and they sought a place to have the Last Supper, the Passover with their Lord, that would have been John Mark's house. John Mark had the opportunity to see uh, the Last Supper take place and then to see the resurrected Jesus appeared there in the room. He saw Jesus in the flesh. John Mark had the opportunity to see that day when, when Thomas met Jesus again. And he said, Thomas, put your, your hands in mine. See the holes. Put your hand in my side. Son, it's me. John Mark got to witness that. And then when Peter was released from prison, remember the shaking of the prison and the walls fell and Peter came out and he came to the house there and, and, and the servant girl answered the door and she was like, ah, and slammed the door in Peter's face. He, he got to be there. He got to see that and go down and open the door and say, come in. He got to see the transfigured, I'm sorry, the, 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 the ascension into heaven when Jesus went up and said, go ye therefore into all the world, making disciples and teaching them to observe all things as I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. John Mark got to be there for that. Folks, when John Mark later in his life as the, the archbishop there in Alexandria, as he, as he wrote the gospel to share it with his students and make sure that that information wasn't lost, he wrote a short and succinct gospel that comes on like a lion. And all the way through Mark's gospels, that central theme we should always remember, that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ. He is the Son of God. That is the message of Mark all the way through. So anytime you got a question, I wonder why this is being shared. I wonder what the point is. I wonder what Mark's up to. I wonder what the underlying story is. It's always going to be Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah, the Son of God. That's what it's all about. Today, we're going to pick up uh, in Mark chapter 1, verse 40, and we're going to go through 217. So here's what we're going to be looking at today. The the central point of today's uh, um, dialogue engagement is going to be healing and calling points to a bigger message. There's more to it than just that healing, just that calling. There's a bigger message, and we need to be good students who are listening and trying to see what is that good message that Jesus is sharing. Two little side things that go along with it. Jesus knows your heart. He knows the insides of who you are, what you're thinking, what you're all about. He knows that. And then lastly, Jesus likes the imperfect. People like you who are scum. That's what the Pharisees called the people who weren't good enough to be with them. He called a scum. So for those of you in the room who who resonate with me in that I'm imperfect, I'm not good enough, I've got flaws in my character and who I am and the deep recesses of my heart and mind, 
if maybe you've got some things that you would say is not worthy of the gospel, not worthy of Jesus, I don't belong, you're in good company. And so we're going to be seeing some of those folks today. So let's open up in a word of prayer, and we'll dive straight into Mark chapter 1, verses 40 to 45 to begin with. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity uh, just to gather in safety and in freedom here in this place today. God, we thank you for the momentum and the excitement and the surge that we're feeling as a church. God, let us never take these things for granted. But Lord, for, uh, for this next little while, help us to focus on your word. Help us focus on what uh, your apostle Mark was trying to make sure we understood and we saw about you, the Messiah, the Son of God. Lord, help us internalize what we hear and make it part of our own way of living and the story that we tell others. We pray this in the name of uh, the Word of Jesus Christ and the power of His Holy Spirit. Amen. Mark chapter 1, verse uh, 39, and then moving into 40. Jesus went into all of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and driving out evil spirits. Then a man with leprosy came to him and on his knees begged Jesus, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and he touched him. I am willing, he told him, be made clean immediately. The leprosy left him and he was made clean. Then Jesus sternly warned the man and sent him away at once, telling him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the man went out and began to proclaim it widely and to spread the news with the result that Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but he was out in deserted places, and they came to him from everywhere. Jesus lived in a society and in a day where uh, a, a condition like leprosy meant that you were outcast. Lepers in those days, they, they would have sores on their skin and lesions. Sometimes what would happen with leprosy is that the feeling and the nerves and the, and the blood flow to certain areas of the body, extremities like ears and lips and nose and, and, and eyebrow, eyelids, uh, sorry, I knew there was a term for that, uh, fingers, toes, they would, they would die and, and these would fall off, rot off. And so people would look weird, they would be sick, and it was a contagious disease. So imagine in a society that doesn't have modern health care, what that means for a person. If you're a leper, you're out. You're no longer wanted. You are persona non grata. As a matter of fact, in those days, lepers often had to carry little bells and ding, 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 and they would make noise when they walked around. How many of you are gardeners and you use uh, pie plates back to back? You ever put those in your garden? Are you the only one? Am I the only one who's ever done that? Where we live, it's a dinner bell for the deer, you know, so they hear that and they know that there's good stuff to come eat, so that didn't, that didn't work for us. Um, neither did spraying the hot pepper on things. Apparently, that's a garnish where we live. But in, in their day, they had to, what was that about? They had these, these noisemakers they would carry, so people knew they were coming. And often, often, it was expected when they were coming into town, just to make sure the, cloud, the crowd would uh, separate in front of them, they would have to yell, unclean! I'm unclean, I'm dirty, I'm filthy, I'm unwanted, you don't want to touch me, you might catch what I've got. This is the way they were treated. This is how they had to enter into town, into a market, into society. They were outcast. And so when this man came up to Jesus and he said, if you're willing, you can heal me. This man is taking an enormous leap of faith to come up to see Jesus. And now the neat thing is, as he comes running up to Jesus, here's what everybody else did. 
They kind of step back because they didn't want to touch him. But what does Jesus do when he says, I'm willing? What's your, what's your scripture say there? What does Jesus reach out to do? He touches him. Anybody ever feel unclean? Anybody ever feel like just a failure? I'm no good. If God only knew, <laughs> if, if people only knew how terrible I am, the things that go on in the back of my mind, the things that I struggle with, the addictions that own me, the, the hatred that I feel, the guilt that I feel, the stuff that goes on in my mind. If only, if only anybody knew I'm unclean, I'm unworthy. And Jesus reached out and touches that man and says, I'm willing. But something happens in this moment, friends. At this moment when this man is healed, Jesus gives him an instruction that seems so counterintuitive. I mean, if you're trying to get the message out that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, He's here to, to redeem what was lost, He's here to heal, why would He tell the man, don't tell anybody, go tell the priest? Because you see, what Jesus is doing in this very moment, He's healing this person on the bottom of society. The, the outcast, the unwanted, the person whose, um, whose affliction, whose condition is so opposite of what seems to be good and holy and righteous in, in society and in the church and, you know, with, with the good people. Jesus is ministering to him, but at the very same moment, Jesus is going to be ministering to the priests there in the temple, the people who are following the law of Moses to a T, the good folks, you know, the religious folks. Jesus is going to minister him to them both at the same time by saying, Son, now go to the priest and take him the offering and let the priest know you've been healed and it's time for you to reenter society. You're in good standing. Because, see, at that moment, the priest is going to realize the law has been met, it's been honored, and a miraculous healing has taken place. And this man's place is no longer outcast and left out. This man is now worthy just like everybody else to be able to come before the throne of God. Does that sound in any way relevant in our world today? Are there any people you can think of in our culture and society that the, the church and religion and, and good people have shoved out and said, you're not, you're not welcome here anymore, you go over there and because you're, you're you know, unclean, and, and the good, wholesome people will stand here and we'll dress well and we will present well and, and we will look wonderful and we will tell everybody, oh, I'm just doing so good, I'm so blessed, and we'll be these people, we'll be very religious and those people will be out there. Can you, is, is this relevant in our world at all today? You see, I think what Jesus is trying to do is to say for you and you and everybody in between, I'm the Messiah, the Son of God, and I came to, to seek and to save and to redeem that which is lost and to restore a right relationship between God and His creation. Are you hearing it? Are you seeing the message? And Jesus reaches out and He touches him. What a beautiful picture saying, I love you. You unclean person, I love you. And I'm reaching through all of this stuff to tell you we're good now. Isn't that amazing? I wonder if maybe some of us need to take that very same faith leap that the leper did. Now let's move to chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through, um, one through 7. I'm going to read a little bit further on, but follow in yours. When Jesus entered Capernaum again after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many people gathered together so that there was no more room, not even in the doorway as he was speaking the word to them. Okay, <laughs> verse 2. Um, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so the word is teaching the word to them. 
You ever been around an author who wrote the book? Kind of neat to hear it from them. You ever been around the person that the book is about, like an autobiography or biography? You get to be around the real person, or, or you've heard the album, but now you're around the actual artist. Here's the word teaching the word to people. You figure Jesus was a pretty compelling teacher that people wanted to gather around. You guys awake this morning? We all, we all around? Okay, just making sure. Verse 3, they came to him, these are some friends, came to him bringing a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they were not able to bring the man to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and, and after digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was laying. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does he speak like this? That's blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right away, Jesus received in his spirit what they were thinking like this. Why are you thinking these things in your heart? He says to them. Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he tells the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home immediately. The paralytic got up, took the mat, and went out in front of everyone. As a result, they were astonished all and gave glory to God, saying, We have never seen anything like this before. And I think that's a pretty true statement. Jesus was challenging the entire crowd's assumptions now. Let me see if I can paint this for you. In Jesus' day, there was a wide-held belief that if you were sick or paralyzed or had a disease, or if you were impoverished or a woman that you had done something to where God didn't love you as much as everyone else. Wow. So people actually thought that if, if you were poor, okay, if this person's wealthier and you're down here, that now there's a strata. And as the strata goes down in health and in prosperity, that, that on this strata, you're less worthy to God than this person, and this person's worth more, and this person's worth more. Remember, the, there's a story of a priest who's praying, and he comes into the temple, and he says, Oh, thank you, God, that I was not born poor or a woman or a dog. And this is how this religious guy is, 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 is talking. And we all look at that and just recoil and like, what is the ma ma matter with you that you would think that way? But, but hey, listen, here's how close we still are. How many of us Americans, okay? By the way, we're the one percenters in the world. Because unless you're from Dubai, we're the wealthiest nation, the wealthiest people that the world has ever known. You have running water and, and heat and, and groceries available and social services to provide for you. Um, you. You live in generally safe societies with roads to drive on and opportunity for education is there for you and health care. What an amazing world you get to live in. Clothes are available to you. Food is available. To, and wow. Yet still in our society, we compare ourselves to other people, don't we? And we say, well, they're the rich, you know, they're the wealthy, they're the ones who live kind of high on the hog. You know? And we stratify ourselves. And, and, and not only that, in our churches, there seems to be this attitude <clears throat> that if you're, if you're living good, God's going to bless you with prosperity and health. It tends to kind of be a vein that flows through our culture and our society. And it was in theirs too. You see, it was even more egregious in theirs to where they believed if a person had a disease 
or, or encountered an injury somehow, uh, that it was God judging them. And that's how they would think. So this man who's a paralytic, more than likely what we can determine is because he's got friends who are around, who are willing to go up and, and carrying them around on a mat, and they're willing to open up somebody's roof and tear up their house and you know, cause a remodeling project and then lower the guy down through the roof, that, that he's got some friends around. Now, I don't know how many of you have spent time paying attention to this, but folks who are born with mobility diseases, who are paralytic from birth, they don't generally tend to have a whole lot of friends around through their lifetime, okay? Would you agree that that's the truth? I'm not judging or attacking. I'm not throwing stones or salt or anything. I'm just saying that's kind of a truth we can observe uh, pretty scientifically, okay? Fair? This guy's got friends who are willing to do all that for him. So more than likely, we can suppose that he wasn't always a paralytic, but something had happened to him. Maybe, maybe it was an injury. You know, maybe he was just working out there on the ship one day and, 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 and he fell over and hit an oar and next thing you know he broke a spine and, and he, he's a paralytic now. Maybe, maybe, it was a, maybe it was a disease. Maybe he got a fever and something happened. Whatever happened, this guy is now a paralytic and his friends bring him to Jesus for, for healing. But what is it that Jesus said? Did Jesus... In their first exchange, now listen, pay attention. Did Jesus heal him right away? Okay, let, let, let's do this. I had to do it in the first service too. Welcome to Sturgeon Bay Community Church. Uh, we're all about relationships and openness. And in our services sometimes, our candor culture means we talk back and forth. And sometimes you can ask a question or raise a hand. It's pretty fun. Uh, and sometimes I'll ask a question and you can answer back. And we kind of exchange a little bit. If you're coming from a, you know, a, a church where it's a little more rigid or liturgical and they're not used to that, you're going to be fine. It'll be a lot of fun. Uh, but I want, us, I want us to engage from time to time because we like each other. Or I at least like you. You make your own decisions. But at a moment like this, uh, so I'm asking you, in that verse, okay, did Jesus immediately heal the man or what did he say? Yeah, your sins are forgiven. What? The guy came to get healed and Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Doesn't that cause a question? What do we know about Mark? If ever there's a question that comes up, what is it that Mark is trying to get across to you? What is the message that Mark wants to make sure you're walking away with? Okay, so who gets to forgive sins? The one who came to be the sacrifice to forgive sins. Hey, in your life, are you accepting Jesus' forgiveness for some of the sins that you're hanging on to that you've been living with? All those dark things in the back of your mind, that rejection the leper was feeling, this paralytic who's believing in his heart and his soul that he's done something to deserve this judgment. Jesus engages them like the way I hope you're hearing him engage you. Hey, your sins are forgiven. I'm the Messiah, the Son of God. Your sins are forgiven. Let it go. It's gone. I'm not going to sing this song. Let it go. It's gone. You've been, you've been, I promise I'm not going to do it, Terry, okay? Let it go. In each one of your hearts needs to be this understanding. Jesus loves you enough to forgive. And that's where it starts. But you may still be a paralytic. Jesus loves you enough to forgive. You're forgiven, but you may still have diabetes. Jesus loves you, and he's forgiven, but you're still going to age and get old. 
And like Ecclesiastes says, hate the days. <laughs> the, the, the reality is we're going, we're going to go through life as human beings. But you're forgiven. Jesus starts out this exchange that day with this paralytic saying, buddy, you're forgiven. You're not, you're not on this map because of God's ongoing judgment. He loves you. He's forgiven you. That's the big message. Have you messed up? Have you screwed up in life? Have you made some genuinely poor decisions that have ramifications? You know what Jesus' message is to you? You're forgiven. I love you. Let the addiction go. Hey, you're forgiven. I love you. Let the grudge go. You're forgiven. I love you. Learn to live with this. Turn it to glory somehow. You're forgiven. I love you. You need to go ask for forgiveness from somebody else now. You see, that's the core message Jesus was trying to get that crowd to understand as the Word is teaching the Word. That's what happened. But people are people, aren't they? People in his day, just like ours, were figuring, well, if I've got favor with God, I'm going to be healthy and wealthy, and, and, uh, and all these wonderful things are going to happen to me, and that must be the indicator to everyone else around that I'm in favor with God. No, no. That's what the priests of that day were thinking. They were also thinking, who can forgive sins but God? But what's the central message that Jesus is getting across here? Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. So in this moment, when, when this paralytic is brought and Jesus tells him, your sins are forgiven. The question that comes to these priests and scribes' mind is, only God can forgive sins. Who do you think you are? And so Jesus answers the question without them saying it out loud. Hey, wouldn't that be neat to be able to read minds? That'd be cool. I know some of you have the gift or discernment or you're females, and so you can read our minds anyway as men. I didn't think that was true. I've been married a while now, and I realize she knows what I'm thinking anyway. Wouldn't it be cool, though, if you could totally read minds? If I could look over here at Phil and go, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. Shame on you. But Jesus looked at those priests and he said, how dare you? How dare you ask that question? Which is easier to say that your sins are forgiven, to profess what's already true, or to reach down and simply heal a man? So Jesus does. He heals him. <laughs> he says, pick up your mat. <clears throat> pick up your vestiges, okay? Roll them up. Go home. Get back to life. Get back to work. And then fix the roof, would you? <laughs> I think it's pretty amazing that in that moment, Jesus engages both of their assumptions. This guy thinking, I'm, I've been judged for some sin. God can never use me again. I'm just a paralytic. And their friends are like, no, man, you're our buddy. It's worth trying. It's worth going to this guy. Let's go to the healer. Can I tell you that in your life, there's going to be people, they're your buddies, they're your friends, and they need the healer. They need Jesus in their life. They need, they need friends who are bold enough to say, hey, you know where you need to go? You need to get involved in the church with some people who can love you, with some community that can wrap you up and show you what it's like to be God's kid and in good standing with God. Your relationship's restored. Hey, you're forgiven. Accept that. Come on. This is the Christian community. And... And it was also, again, for the priests. See, I bet, I bet a lot of you are probably 
making the assumption that Jesus' relationship with all the priests and Pharisees was always negative. Have you, ever, have you ever thought that before? Can we be honest? Most of us have thought that Jesus just was always at odds with the priests. Not necessarily. In this miracle, Jesus is engaging the, 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 um, the leper to go engage the priests and, to, and to, to send a message to them to be able to realize, whoa, this man's been healed. Wow. The law of Moses has been fulfilled. Jesus didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. What? And, and here's this other one. And, and, he, and he engages the priest. Hey, guys, which is easier for me to say your sins are forgiven? Hey, Joe, Joe there, the paralytic on the mat. All those sacrifices that you've made over the years, having your friends take the doves and the lamb to the, to the temple and sacrifice them so God would forgive you for whatever put you in this condition. Your sins are forgiven, buddy. Your sins are forgiven. Priests, listen. God forgives. God loves people. Joe is God's person too. He's now healed. He's back in right standing with the Father. You don't get to determine who's in right standing with the Father. I do because I'm the Messiah, the Son of God. What a beautiful message. How many assumptions is Jesus already engaged now? Multiple, layer upon layer upon layer. Hey, and we're not even done yet. If you've got your Bibles, let's go now to verse 13. Mark chapter 2, verse 13. So Mark 2, 13. Jesus went out again beside the sea, and the whole crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. Then, pausing, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in a toll booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. While he was reclining at the table in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who were following him. When the scribes who were Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he told them, it's not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners, sinners, sinners. Levi is also known by the name Matthew. Jesus changed his name. His life was transformed. His name was transformed. Common practice in their day. Matthew was a tax collector. So here's what tax collectors did in that day. They were traitors to their own people, and they worked for Rome. So the Jews really hated tax collectors. Tax collectors also got very, very wealthy They were skimmers, they were scammers, they were grafters. And what they would do is they would use their position to enrich themselves. And they levied taxes on all the goods that traveled to and from the roads. So if you came through the city of Capernaum and you had a caravan and you had goods that you were going to be selling down in in Judah or Galilee or down to Jerusalem or you're going through to Egypt or whatever, if you were traveling those roads, you would pay a toll and a tax on everything that you were transporting. Now, it's not unusual. That's how culture and societies have to work. You have to tax goods for the good of the general good, and you got to maintain the roads and pay the army. But these guys, these tax collectors were traitors. They were taken from their own people, unfair, and surcharges and extra taxes and making themselves wealthy. And they were getting paid by Rome to do it. So they were not loved, okay? There's another tax collector in Jesus' day. Anybody remember his name? Even had a song, We Little Man, and all that kind of good stuff. And so uh, Levi, that is to say Matthew, was one of these people. And Jesus is now going to challenge this guy's understanding. Let me see if I can help you understand this a little bit. Who do you have meals with? Friends? Family? Anybody ever go on a date? Everybody should go, oh, yeah, 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 sure, sure, sure. 
Let's go ahead and do that. Makes you feel better about yourself. Anybody ever go on a date? Oh, yeah, there we go. That's better. It's a lot more fun. One date. One day, dude. It'll, it'll come. Don't worry about it. You'll get taller, better looking. The girls will recognize you. It happens eventually. I promise, okay? By the way, it's not fair, guys like this, you know? It's just kill it for the rest of your friends. You know that, right? All right. So when you, when you go out on a date or you, you have people over for dinner or you go over to people's house, you're going to eat with people that you like and that you associate with. You're going to share association and relationship. We all on the same page? Hey, who should Christians be spending their time with? Who should we be having meals with? Who should we be friends with? Neighbors? Outcasts? The folks that society says don't belong? Especially the one that the religious elites say don't belong, shouldn't be there, shouldn't come. Hey, you have to be salt and light. It's really hard to have flavor or illumination when everybody else in the room is salt and light too. It's great to be encouraged. It's great to be built up and edified. But get out there. Go be around the scum of the earth and be the Christian. Be their token Christian. It's fun. It's great. It's a lot of fun. You, you stand out. And when you show what's true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy, when, when you're demonstrating peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and long-suffering understanding, when you demonstrate that through your lifestyle and your influence of people's lives, you show them the difference that Jesus' people make. Jesus didn't come to save the saved. He came to come and to redeem that which is lost. So when he goes to Matthew to Levi's house, what he's doing is he's saying, look, I love you. Our relationship has been restored. You're a thief, and you need to engage that. But listen, I'm looking past the behavior to the person you are, and I love that person. That's the message Jesus is sending. And who was the one that had the biggest problem with it? The religious folks. Is there an indictment there? Do we suffer from this at all in our culture? Is this something that we're guilty of? Who do you share your meals and your life with? Wow. You see, Jesus is now challenging Matthew's, Levi's value system and his assumptions about what religion is for, what God is for, what forgiveness is about. And Jesus is saying with no uncertain terms, Levi, I love you. I care about you. You matter. Your sins are forgiven. Roll up your mat. Take it home. Let's go have a meal together. Let's dine together. Let's be friends. That's who Jesus came to engage. Sinners, you have some assumptions. Are there things maybe in your heart that you need to let go of? Are there some, uh, some beliefs that you've built up around yourself that I guess God is punishing me or God could never love me through this? You need to let go of some of those things and recognize that God does love you. He's the God of love and forgiveness who came to restore relationships. Jesus came to restore relationship with his creation with people. The broken, the fractured, the degenerated life is made whole in and by Jesus Christ. Simply believe, place your faith and your trust in him. And Jesus is that savior, that friend of sinners that you need too. I bet in the room, though, there's some Christians, right? A couple of you. And you Christian folks have kind of got your own little value system. You figure, well, I got my fire insurance card, and that's all good, you know, so to be absent from the bodies, be present with the Lord. I'm kind of on the good side of that. But, but 
I guess I just can't really be in a daily relationship with God because he doesn't understand what it's like to have to do my job or have to be married to my husband or, or have to deal with my kids or have to live with my neighbor or with my addiction, with my dark thoughts, with my... Jesus came to restore that. Can you hear his words? Your sins are forgiven. Pick up your mat. Get on with your life. Offer forgiveness where it's needed. Accept forgiveness where it's been given. Let go of that grudge. You're only hurting yourself. Love somebody. Love somebody that other people look past. Open up your table to friends. Open up your home to people who are outcast. Love the leper. Love the tax collector. Literally, maybe. Love the lawyer. But we're called to be salt and light, friends. And I don't know that the church of Jesus Christ is very different today than it was in Jesus' day. I feel like we still have this belief. Oh, my marriage isn't what it could be. It isn't what it should be, so I guess God doesn't love me as much as them, doesn't value me as much as them. Oh, you know, my finances aren't what those people's are, so I guess you know, they're, they're better than me. And maybe even the church treats them better than you. Folks, we've all got some growing to do here. But Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God who came to restore that relationship with his people, and that's the business we need to be about as well. As we close our service today, I'd ask you, um, to just let's just do this. Let's honor one another and let's honor Christ with this. Would you, would you bow your head? Would you close your eyes? Would you ignore the people around you and just, just you get in front of God? You don't need to be thinking about what other people are thinking. This is just about you for a minute. And it's your quest before God. Now, um, just by the way, if you came today and, and you're not, keep your eyes closed. If you're, if you're not a Jesus follower yet, maybe you just came to church, you're like, you know, I'll, I'll be patient and hear what this is about. First of all, let me say thank you. I appreciate you being here. That, that's, a, that's a great step on your part, and I appreciate your open-mindedness. In, in this time, while Christians are praying, let me just challenge you this way. Just kind of get to a zero point. You do that too, with a head bow, with your eyes closed. Just kind of go to a point of neutral for a minute. I just challenge you this way. Try it. Same prayer I'm going to ask the Christian folks. Throw it out there. And it kind of goes like this. God, are there lies that I'm believing that I'm not worthy? I'm not good enough. I'm, I'm not loved are any of these lies existing in me right now? Causing me to be ashamed? Causing me to be afraid? Causing me not to feel valuable? God, would you just take that away? Listen, friends, God's already said, you're forgiven. Can you accept that forgiveness that God has offered? It's the offer of a restored relationship. Can you accept that? While you're in this place, one more question. God, is, is there forgiveness that I need to offer someone else? Or are there people that I've become blind to that I need to befriend, that I need to love? to open my table to? God, would you draw our attention to that?
Lord Jesus, we've gathered here today in safety and security, in wealth and in privilege, to be able to thank you and to worship you. God, I just pray that you would remind us that we've been forgiven and that we are loved and that you came to restore that relationship because you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Lord, would you help us to open our eyes to that forgiveness and embrace it? God, let us release some things we've been carrying around for a long, long time. God, would you help us as people to look beyond ourselves and to see the lepers and the tax collectors and the paralytics in the world around us who need to know that they're loved, that they're noticed? Would you help us as religious people to recognize we're not any better than anybody else? And that the same love and the challenge that you offered them is the same love and challenge you offer us today. God, we love you and we want that opportunity to have the restored relationship and to live it out in front of others. So this is our prayer that we offer in the name of Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God.